0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode here on Authentic Spoon Nutrition. I'm your host, Tess Keatley, an accredited practicing dietitian. This podcast is for anyone who's interested in learning about nutrition, business for health professionals, and also this year I'm changing things up and having authentic conversations with people who really inspire me. So, on today's episode, I would like to welcome accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist Sarah Y. In this episode, We talk about Sarah's career journey, going from new graduate dietitian to relocating to Townsville and working in remote and rural communities, and then transitioning into starting her own business, the Good Food Clinic. Sarah works with individuals from all walks of life, providing dietetic services and chronic disease management. But in particular, Sarah's special area of focus is eating disorders and disordered eating. So in today's episode, we will also be speaking a little bit about body image, eating disorders, disordered eating, and how you can identify these and help those around you who may be suffering from an eating disorder or disordered eating. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: My pleasure. I've been looking forward to
0: it. How's your week been so far?
1: Yeah, good. It's what is it Wednesday today, so it's been running fairly smoothly. Yeah. Uh, I tend to take a Monday off and just have that as a admin day. So it's just, you know, it starts off slow and then it just builds up for the week.
0: Yeah, that's good. It's good having an admin day on Monday as well, because I feel like you feel really accomplished by the start of the week as well. I have mine on Fridays and then I just feel super lazy. So I should change it to a Monday. <laughs> it's um, just
1: I just find Mondays good because I'm like, oh, I'm not. You know, like we deal with humans all the time and it's like one-on-one interactions. So I'm like, I just don't want to wake up doing that on Monday. So yeah, I guess that's a perks of working for yourself as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I start my podcast like this. Um, what is your theme song for the week?
1: I I haven't really good think about this one. I don't know if you know the artist Bjork.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, you know that oh so quiet like I'm not yeah, gonna sing it because yeah. just ruin the whole song but it's, it's, I think that's a good representation of how like this year's been. Like, yeah it died off nice and smoothly and then the pandemic happened and like personally for me work went really really quiet yeah and now it's like at that point in the song where it just goes berserk yeah and everything's happening all at once which I'm not complaining about but I think that would be my theme yeah at the
0: moment. oh that's a good one I like the analogy there that's awesome <laughs> yeah Alright, so let's get into it. Let's. Um, I start the podcast off by um, letting the listeners know a little bit about who you are. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, like where you grew up?
1: So I, um, I emigrated to Australia 2007 with my family, my immediate family. So I was born um, in the UK and um, I studied a little bit of graphic design. I was also a kid and family photographer and then finally decided I wanted to go to uni. So... I'm the first person out of my line of um, like generations to go to university. So that was a challenge within itself. Mm. I, um, since graduating as well, after a three-year long-distance relationship, I've finally been able to move in with my partner that's in the Defence Force and I, I guess currently now I'm just working for myself so just navigating that
0: yeah awesome you can definitely tell you have a background in graphic design from some of your infographics and everything so I feel like that's definitely a skill to bring to dietetics so
1: oh it's been it's been amazing it's it's funny I stopped when did I study that when I was about 19 years old
0: mm-hmm.
1: been in a new country all I wanted to do was you know meet new people and go traveling and i thought oh this would never come in handy in the future and I'm like I'd probably saved myself oh, thousands yeah. of dollars yep, yeah definitely
0: I feel like I try and do some of my own stuff and it just sometimes I want to throw my keyboard at the computer screen seriously because it's so frustrating I'm like I wish I knew how to do this properly so yeah you're definitely lucky there are you based in Townsville now Yeah, yeah yeah I've
1: been living here for about two years and I think it's been about that it, it it's funny it's taken about 2 years for the community to know me and trust me and yeah. build word of mouth for like referrals and clients now
0: yeah so Damn. yeah you have
1: to definitely pe- be patient when you're moving somewhere even with you know making friends and
0: that yeah i think that's good also for starting a business that people think that you start a private practice and you automatically have this long list of clients but it's definitely not like that it's definitely something that takes a while to build if you could describe your personality in a few words what would you say
1: the first one i was like quite straightforward so i think as i've grown older and i've met so many different people i I basically call a spade a spade but in the most respectful way as well so um so i guess a little bit blunt um intuitive as well from Mm. experience Um, determined or one of my psychologist friends would say stubbornness (laughs) so I'm I'm just I just have a high work um, ethic yeah and I've I've found if I if I want to do something I'm just determined to do it regardless if I fail I just keep going yeah so yeah that's come in really handy and I guess like funny and humorous as well Mm -hmm. because there's been some like really hard times especially with like my career but also dealing with different clients and their mental health as well so you've got to yeah you've got to have a bit of um, dark humor about you as well so yeah i like to brighten the situation up when it needs to be
0: yeah definitely i think that's why yeah. i love following your instagram so much is that you do have that I guess, straightforward, straight to the point. You know how sometimes people just ramble on about things, you just call it as it is. And then you've also got that sense of humour as well, which I really like as well, kind of that sarcastic, like... I can't remember it was a few years ago you did a video in your kitchen like a mockery video or something and I was like who is this girl I need to I need to connect with her yeah it was really good.
1: Even English traits coming out I think people know for being like sarcastic it's shocking. Yeah
0: (laughs) what inspired you to study dietetics was it something that you always knew you wanted to do after graphic Um, design?
1: It's quite funny. I, when I enrolled in the course, I had no idea what a dietitian was. <laughs> oh, I was
0: exactly the same. Exactly.
1: Yeah, that's it's crazy. Like, I had no idea about the medical nutrition therapy side of things either. So that once we got up to like that stage in the course, just blew my mind. But I think naturally coming from a, and um, quite a sporty family as well. And, you know I think most of us are surrounded by diet culture and food talk all the time so I was just like what is this all about like what are the actual facts and um, I think naturally I was drawn to having conversations about it so I was like I need to get a little bit of credibility so I'll just go to university and study and um, I went in there with an open mind and had no career goal I just wanted to learn a little bit more and then as the years went by kind of funneled down into what I wanted to do or, you know, how I wanted my career to look.
0: Yeah. And when you graduated, um, did you go straight into the dietetic workforce?
1: Luckily, yes. I had a three-month break because uh, once we graduated and I moved to a new town, I settled in, uh, I applied through, you know, multiple um, jobs and then through word of mouth and networking, with dietitians in the community i found a role and it was a full-time position so i was really lucky with Mm. that and that was a like what the description was a outreach dietitian so delivering nutrition services to rural and remote communities so a lot of traveling but Mm. you know it I would not change that. It was the best experience I could have got for my first year, my first two years after graduating.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's so amazing, especially to get a full time job straight out of uni, which is so rare for any students listening. So, congratulations, that's amazing. And then also yeah. having that experience working in outreach is incredible because you don't, because we're both from cities, so you don't really yeah. see those, you know, chronic disease. Um, issues normally working in a city know. and the barriers access to supermarkets and all of those things yeah. which I'm sure I'm going to pick your brains about in a little bit
1: <laughs> That's interesting yeah
0: so then um, you also have your own business the good food clinic when did you start that
1: I changed the name of my Instagram and started looking at as a business probably about six months after graduating from memory it's a bit r- bit rough at the moment and I think I did that because I was had a bit of time on my hands plus working full time. So I I don't know. I just there was something there was a mind shift. I don't know if it was because I was loving what I was doing in terms of my rural job, and um, I just wanted to talk about nutrition more. But I just yeah, something switched, and I just you know renamed the Instagram page and started looking at it. it's more more of a business mm. that way
0: yeah yeah cool I love the name also so reflecting back to when you were a student what was something that you wish you knew about the field of dietetics
1: this was a hard one to question actually because I think you would probably agree that we can always go back and go oh, I just wish I knew more in this area or I wish I knew more in this area and it's that's why we have um, professional development because university can't teach you everything I think the main thing that I you know thinking back to my placement experience the main thing that um, I wasn't expecting was um, advocating for dietitians and Mm. I just assumed once you get a job everyone respects you everyone knows what a dietitian does and um, your clients will see you and they acknowledge that you're here to help them and you just have to continuously advocate for yourself if you work in a hospital you have to make yourself known to the staff and go this is what I can do um, and the same for like outpatient or in the community, you have to build that relation up, relationship up with the doctors and explain to them this is what I can do for your for your patients. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that would be the main thing. Um, yeah,
0: that's a that's a great one. I just finished a two week clinical locum and I was. On the weekend, I was telling my friends about... They're like, what do you actually do in a hospital? And I was telling them all yeah. about TPN and enteral, And they were yeah. just like, what? Really? I just thought you helped people lose weight. I'm like, no, 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 no. There's many things that we do as dietitians And also depending on what area you work in. So I guess that leads us into our next segment. So a little bit about your business. What does a typical day in the life look like for you?
1: Uh, I try and keep it structured. So... Uh, I guess it's winter now so I've been a bit slack with exercise but I'll make sure to move my body just to wake it up and wake my brain up and then I'll just start I'll try and start work at the same time so 9 o'clock so depending if it's an admin day I'll just be on the computer all day just answering doctor's letters emails or um, writing client notes up or meal plans anything like that or if I do have I tend to try and keep appointments to one Two slots and not um, have them booked in throughout the week as well. So that way, if I'm ready to talk to someone, I'm in that zone.
0: Yeah, yeah. I so do the same yeah, thing. mainly
1: working from home at the moment as well. But I'll be back to um, in-person consults, um, which is which is great. So yeah, it's really a mixture throughout the week, but the days quite um, quite structured. I always write out a to-do list and to make sure I, I've got what I need to do for that day to prioritize that yep. and it can be it can be different every single day which um I, I guess some people can find it difficult to cope with but I kind of like it
0: yeah I like the variety too yeah. so what um what is your like main client base that you see uh
1: mainly female uh, if I had to put an age group on it 20 to 50 mm-hmm. um And it's, I I guess, the way I've marketed myself, it is mainly people struggling with that relationship with food or they've gone through, um, you know, that chronic dieting experience as well. I also do see males as well, Mm -hmm. um, but they don't tend to self-refer. It's always like a doctor recommending they come and see me as well. But, yeah, the client loads a, a bit of a mixture. It can be the extreme or eating disorder management, but it can also just be... unhealthy relationship with food or yeah they might just want to improve their healthy lifestyle as well Mm -hmm. and amongst like chronic health conditions
0: yeah Yeah. has your um instagram platform influenced your professional work and do you kind of use this to get clients as well
1: recently i've used it to get clients and in the past i haven't because i i don't i just didn't know how to do it without sounding salesy yeah and Um, I guess because when I first started the account it was more so I was using it to not promote myself it was more so learning about nutrition like a topic and being able to explain that in a really simple way to the general public and it's only recently that I've been thinking in more of a marketing way that hey if I'm putting up a post this is my free time as well my expertise so I need to have a bit of a target or an aim that i want to achieve out of this post
0: i find um a lot of the dietitians who i follow kind of market in a subtle way and they don't even know that they're doing it and i think that's the best kind of marketing and i reflect back reflect back on ways that I've gotten clients from Instagram in the past and for example mm. I did a post about iron and protein on a vegan diet and then two weeks later I had five new vegan clients and I'm like and always yeah. in my consults I ask so where did you find me and they're always like oh I saw one of your Instagram posts and that to me was just me yeah. doing an education post without even realizing I was attracting clients so yeah I think that's really so, yeah, um, yeah what well, clever what you said
1: but it's like um oh sorry to interrupt it's yeah. like um just being authentic that's the best way to get the people that you want working with you as well so you're not you don't have this hidden agenda you know that you're um, you know you're selling your services but you're not you're not a con man yeah like exactly wanting to help people
0: yeah and if i see straight out marketing on instagram i just unfollow because i just i don't know if it's because i have a background in marketing and i just yeah i just yeah it's just not authentic to me so
1: yeah same here
0: yeah so what are some of the current challenges that you have in your current role
1: um i guess the first thing is that like private practice income isn't guaranteed I'm a one-man band at the moment, or one-woman band. So I'm doing the, the marketing, the referrals, uh, the processing of new clients, um, absolutely everything. Bible, so surprisingly enjoyed that. Mm. I, I don't know if it's just ownership. So I think there's high risk, but also high reward. So I was saying before, um, when we first started chatting, I quit my full-time job to work for myself two weeks before the pandemic hit so that was probably the um not not really a smart move but of course you can't predict a pandemic but it's like I I don't regret any of it because I think it's been a massive learning curve Mm. and if anything if we're talking about risk and reward again I've been able to create um realistic goals and just pull everything back back in and um Reduce expectations, but in a in a good way. Um, yeah. It doesn't sound as inspiring, but it yeah, it really works for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. and it, I think yeah. you'll look back on it in five years and think, thank God that this happened during the pandemic because it's teaching you things that you probably wouldn't have yeah. got. You know, doing it in not a pandemic. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah I oh, always I've been
1: loving it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> it's good. It's huh? a, I
1: think this is a. We, you know, during the pandemic, I like it, it was cold turkey. All my doctor appointments, like to have a meeting, were completely cancelled. And I'm not going to lie, like, I did have a bit of a cry, like, what am I doing? This, mm-hmm. you know, the first year of business is the hardest anyway, regardless if you're doing it through a pandemic. But, um, I really enjoyed the t- the quiet time off because I haven't had time off since I was
0: school age yeah it's actually kind of been nice hey I had the same thing I had all of these corporate presentations lined up to go in I think it was like the first two weeks of when everything started to close and then I had like three weeks off because I didn't book any clients in because I thought I was doing these presentations and I was like this is amazing I was like this is what it feels like to sleep in and just you know relax so yeah I guess there's one positive out of everything (laughs) yeah yeah so tell us a little bit about some of the outreach work that you did um what were some of your main learnings that you did there
1: uh so with with that particular role I was responsible for servicing different areas outside of town so on average, I was travelling between two to four hours a day uh, just to get to a clinic. So there's some days where I would actually have more time on the road than seeing people, which is, yeah, interesting. Mm. Um, but I absolutely loved it. But I guess after a while, it becomes um, quite repetitive. Um, but with that experience, you know how we're talking about like being, like, being more city people mm. Um, when you work in rural health you get to meet so many different characters which yeah. is you know my favorite my favorite clients were the farmers because yeah. they were so blunt like mm-hmm. they would tell you exactly what they would do and if they weren't going to listen to you and I'm like I completely respect that you know like yeah. you you do you yeah. like I had one guy and he followed everything I said to a tea. and I was like what did you do you did so well he goes I just listened I'm like oh you know the yeah. amount of people that don't listen to me it's you know it's crazy yeah
0: <laughs> yeah that's amazing hey and do you think that there's um it's important for people in outreach communities to work with a health professional like a dietitian?
1: yeah yeah absolutely like I, I'm sure you would agree that there's a high percentage of preventable diseases in the community mm-hmm. the issue is is that there's a huge turnover of staff and so particularly with allied health and like psychology and that the witness and um, what i noticed from my experience is that there's hubs of teams that aren't permanent in the community they actually travel into the community every fortnight so it's really difficult to build up that rapport and with medical centers they're permanent in the in the community however there's a high rotation of mm-hmm. gps because you know there's there needs to be incentives for people to stay and work in the community as well, especially if it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So that can be a bit of an issue. You know, with, um, like, I'm trying not to stereotype, but with most people that live in a rural or remote community, they're quite tight-knit and they like to see the same, um, same faces mm-hmm. daily. So if they've, you know, they've gone to see their GP and every single year there's a new one, it's really hard for them to open up about, their mental health or other health conditions so yeah mm. I, mean, I would say that's like a massive barrier yeah. to making any changes as well so when like you know dietitians are needed but it's about the community understanding how we can help them as well
0: yeah definitely and i also think for any students listening it's an amazing way to fast track your career as a dietitian too yeah. so i know um yeah Uh, someone who graduated as a HP3 went moved out into a rural site and then within five years was a director and that is like super super rare yeah because there was just no no one else applying for the role so she just went up and up and up so if you are young don't have kids don't have commitments and you know are looking for a dietetics job I highly recommend um, going and doing it I did a placement in Roma when I was a student and it was so much fun like I know people think they're going to be away from the beach or away from their friends and family but it is a really good um, way to grow professionally as well so yeah and definitely. as a person I too do. yeah
1: yeah yeah and you're just priceless like you just have to do it like I would recommend it to anyone at a minimum of six months like three months yeah but you know more than yeah. that would be great really stick yeah. it out
0: yeah so you mentioned that you work with a lot of women, especially who might have eating disorders and body image and disordered eating. How common is it for men and women to have negative eating behaviours in your experience working in that space? So, with
1: um, if we're just talking about eating disorders, so um, within Australia. Um the population it's 16% suffer with a eating disorder so that means they meet the criteria for anorexia nervosa bulimia binge eating disorder and any of the other types Mm -hmm. but the the tricky thing with a negative relationship with food is that it can vary for from individual and there's no way of really measuring that so we don't from as far as I know there's not any stats on that but Mm. you know having an education educated guess I'm going to say it's quite high you know how say um most people within their lifetime experience a mental health um concern whether that be like anxiety depression i would say that would probably be similar stats to um having a negative relationship with food Mm. and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's because you want to lose weight or you want to look a particular way it might be because you're in sports and you're um you know to perform you need to eat a very restricted or a rigid mm. diet and after a while that really plays up with your um, eating habits or it might be role modeling in your family so yeah, yeah definitely. I would, so i would say it's high but yeah then can't i can't put a number on it
0: yeah and that's hard because i guess in order to diagnose things there needs to be that specific criteria but on this is just in my personal experience as a dietitian i yes. think that probably Eight out of ten people that I work with have some sort of sort of disordered eating patterns without even realizing yeah. it, um, yeah. and especially I work with a lot of females as well. I think that majority of females that I come across have experienced it in some. You know, whether it's them dieting for a birthday party or, you know, they've got an event yeah. coming up, it's pretty crazy and especially it's social crazy. media and everything, it's not healthy.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's like you were saying earlier about they, you know, they don't realise that they have disordered eating or a negative relationship with food because it's so common in our society and mm. it's, it's it's been made to be normal.
0: Yeah, diet yeah. culture and, yeah, it's crazy so how quick can the transition from negative eating behaviors be to the diagnosis of an eating disorder
1: it it really depends so of course what we want we want to be working in the space is prevention and education as well so when when we say prevention, you want to—that's like the early years of life. So if you we start to um, notice any disordered eating in a young person, we want to make sure that we get on top of that straight away. Whether that be the school or family or psychologist as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
1: but you know, I I recently went well before the restrictions. I went to Melbourne and attended this conference, and uh, there was a well-known psychologist that was talking about. Um, the triggers for mm-hmm. an escalation of eating disorders. So there's no certain time frame but um, basically the environment and the um, genetic disposition loads the gun and it's weight loss that is the trigger. Mm. So if you it's like the perfect storm analogy. So if you have all of those three factors, it doesn't mean that you will develop an eating disorder and things will escalate quickly. It just means that you're at higher risk and you just need to be aware of that as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I love that. Yeah. The ge- genetic predisposition is the gun and then weight loss is the trigger. Yeah. That's, such a, that's a, such a great summary to explain it. So for parents who might be listening or um, people who have a family member that they might suspect or um, have kind of an inkling thinking that they might have an eating disorder, what are some of the warning signs that you look out for? So if
1: we're keeping in mind, if it's a family situation, thinking particularly young people, but this can also be older as well. You can experience an eating disorder in your 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. That's completely normal. But um, one of your, your main ones when it comes to the diet is excluding food groups, mm-hmm. which is extremely common, um, and most people do. Um, so that's that's one of them. Body check-ins, so this can be weighing yourself multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. Or... Um, you know how, you know, you, some people, like, grab parts of their, their body,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, whether they grab their legs or their wrists or their waist. So that can be body checking compulsively.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and just social isolation and not in the way that the pandemic is talking about, but more so um, avoiding eating out with friends and family and um, eating in um, alone or in secret um mm-hmm or going to the bathroom, you know, within mm-hmm. five minutes of eating a meal as well. So, yeah, they're just some of the signs that you can look for.
0: Yeah. I think we kind of touched on it, but my next question was, apart from genetic predisposition, what are some of the other triggers? So you mentioned weight loss. Um, is there anything yeah. else that you think can influence eating disorders?
1: Absolutely. So if we, if we talk about environmental role modelling, so positive or negative role modelling. So if you... Um, a parent for example um, if you have a disordered relationship with food yourself or a previous eating disorder then you um that doesn't mean that you you're putting your child at risk but um depending if it you know your eating disorder is still present and that could possibly influence your child as well Mm -hmm. or uh, traumatic experiences as well so I think it's important um, people understand that having an eating disorder doesn't necessarily mean it's because you want to look a certain way, whatever that body ideal is at the time. The eating disorder is about control over a experience that you've had in the past that you've had no control over, whether that be you know, physical um, or verbal abuse or um, or you know even personality traits like perfectionism, and um, you're from a family of a high
0: achiever. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. So going back to the role modelling, so an example of that could that be say a mum who's constantly trying to diet, and then the young child or the daughter seeing, you know, oh, mummy's always trying to lose weight, or I think mum's beautiful, but she's always talking badly about herself. Is that kind of what you mean as well?
1: absolutely yeah. yeah 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 so even if the even if the mum or the you know fathers play a massive role in if we're talking about women as well and how yeah. they value themselves and their body as well so dads have a huge role to play in this as well but if we're talking about um mum as a role model and her dieting it's even if she's not verbal about disliking her body and what she's doing like kids are so intuitive like mm. they they know what's going on so yeah. if they know that they're mum doesn't like their body kids are like in tune with wanting to make sure that their parents love them. and if they you know connect love with losing weight that's a really dangerous recipe
0: yeah definitely yeah. yeah I think that's so good so moving forward I just know definitely whenever I have kids down the future I'll only say positive things about myself yeah <laughs> there's actually a quote yeah. on social media that I've seen about like there's like a woman and then the the child and do you know have you seen it do you know what i'm talking about where she's like only say she's saying bad things about her body and then the child like thinks oh it looks down at her stomach and she's like oh okay well maybe i need to look different as well yeah. so yeah yeah it's, so sad I know. Isn't it? but there's
1: also some really great um i think we're, we're more so aware of um body image and but like the positive side of things like being neutral about our body or bo- um, positive body image yeah yeah that so I think we're, sadly, eating disorders is on the rise, but also awareness and management is on the rise as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think, too, it's more spoken about now, whereas I think back in the day it probably wasn't as spoken about. And that's probably one good thing about social media is that it is kind of normalising it now. And I think there's been some, I guess, influencers, quote, um, who have kind of shared their journey with it and how social media has kind of contributed to that as well um in your experience yeah. do you find that social media can be positive or negative with um body image
1: both it just depends who you're following so you've yeah. got to police yourself
0: yeah definitely
1: um, i i haven't come across any dangerous instagram pages recently thank god because there was a lot going on and you'd probably call them, you know them out to me be honest like, yeah just like, Joanna, like all, yeah. awful, absolutely awful. yeah um but, yeah, if you police yourself and make sure that you're following people that don't make you compare yourself um, or make you feel shit, basically, Excuse yeah. my language, yeah. then, yeah. And so I I think if you – yeah, your experience of positive or negative for social media is down to yourself and who you follow as well. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, sure.
1: I, I think it can be great, absolutely. Mm.
0: It's interesting. There's On my personal Instagram, there's a lot of – influencers who I follow because I really like their fashion or their style or their homewares or whatever it is but then they always talk about like juicing and cleansing and needing to lose weight and then I'm like oh why did you have to do that and then I just I just unfollow it because I as a dietitian, I just can't stand it but then also as a female as well I'm like I don't need to be filling my head with that negative self-talk as well so um, I I might even not um, oh sorry
1: I I don't think any of us are um we're all prone to that self-comparison as well Mm. so you can be the strongest woman in the world but you can still compare yourself to another person it's just it's what we do
0: yeah definitely yeah it's in it's in our um human instinct i think (laughs) yeah there's actually a list of um positive social media accounts that I sometimes recommend to my clients so I might actually list them in the show notes below do you have any That's that great. you um that you can think of at the top of your head that you love following I'll put you on the spot oh, here <laughs>
1: off the top of my head I'm you know what I'm actually at shocking with names yeah so it's it's mad like I obviously I remember your name yeah. <laughs> because we've been following each other for so long yeah. but I rem- I'm really good with faces so but terrible with names so if I need to recommend someone I'm spending like a lot of time like scrolling yeah yeah I remember the picture yeah that's what I do too
0: well if you think of it let me know and when this podcast goes up we can put them in the show notes but Yeah, yeah yeah realistically how long can it take for clients to completely recover from an eating disorder and do you ever really truly recover
1: so there's there's actually no definition for recovery or being fully recovered from a eating disorder. So what most health professionals do and what I like to do in session is talk about what the recovery looks like for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great TED talk um, about anorexia nervosa and um, the treatment of it. And for example, this is extreme case. Like there was a um, a female and she has long and enduring um, anorexia nervosa so she may never recover in the way that other people recover but that doesn't mean that she's unsuccessful Mm. it just means that she has to treat food like she treats medication she has to give herself a certain dose like quantity and she has to deliver it at a certain amount of time so for her that would be recovery Mm. and but for other people physically you can or medically you can be Deemed as recovered, so you're not at risk of refeeding syndrome. You've got no nutrient deficiencies. You, if you're female and your periods regular, perfect. But you can still actually be suffering from eating disorder thoughts and urges of the compensatory behaviours as well. So, mm-hmm. and this is the issue as well. Like you can look like you can never determine the how ill someone is from an eating disorder just by looking at, at yeah, them. Yeah, definitely. So medically stable but mentally unstable Mm -hmm. as well so the yeah the journey of recovery i think is more important than actually the destination and just making sure you're filling up your toolbox so that you prevent relapse in the future or if you do if you do relapse um then you know how to get back on the horse quicker and without so many nasty side effects
0: yeah so two things that really stood out to me what with what you just said was that yeah. like recovery looks different for everyone and that's another yeah. thing going back to that comparison is that you might see something online and like this means you're recovered but it's completely different like you've got to set your own goals and start at your own pace and the other yeah. thing too was that um, eating disorders don't discriminate based on the way you look so you can be in a bigger body and have an eating disorder you can be what we call you know an anorexic fitting that criteria but um yeah I think a lot of people forget that people in normal body shapes can also really be struggling as well so it's um yeah I I know there's like some people who might come out and say that they've got it and then people are like what do you mean no you don't you need to be skinny quote-unquote yeah. to have an eating disorder which is absolutely terrible and yeah
1: exactly because it feeds into that i'm not sick enough and i think yeah. there's a book that i would love to read in the future called sick and uh, sick enough and it's mm-hmm. basically feeding into i need to look this way to get to get help yeah. or i need to look this way to actually know that i have an eating disorder and i think you know going back to social media it's and you were saying like a lot of influencer influencers are coming out about their eating disorders or disordered eating which is great but from my perspective they're still heavily female based as well so we need to get more males talking about their experience Mm -hmm. if they're open to it as well and um, so that blokes understand that they can actually suffer from this as well
0: yeah definitely very true so when you're working with um, clients or patients who have eating disorders how important do you think the need for a multidisciplinary approach is
1: a hundred percent like i i wouldn't feel comfortable taking anyone on if a GP and, and a psychologist at a minimum weren't involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a non-negotiable for me because one, working in an, in an outpatient setting, you know, private practice, then I'm also liable if anything happens to them. Mm-hmm. So thinking of it in that perspective, but I want to make sure that they're being looked after in the safest way possible. So how do I know they're not at risk of refeeding if I don't know what their latest blood test looks like and mm-hmm. yep. um, how am I meant to make any changes to their nutrition if I don't actually know what trauma they've experienced or what therapy they're actually going through at the moment so yeah it's, it's just about fitting all those pieces of um, of the puzzle together so yeah anyone that wants to work in this space like you've Got got to make sure that you've got your non-negotiables and that you you are linked in with the GP and the psychologist at all times. Yeah, definitely.
0: I've had some people email me in the past wanting to work with me who have eating disorders, and before I even take them on, I say, I'm sorry, but you do need to go see a psychologist and go see your GP as well before I even start because the diet, yes, is very important, but there are so many other factors that you need to consider for a full recovery, so... Is really important Absolutely. for any students who are listening and are thinking about working in this space in the future do you have any good like pd or resources or recommendations where they can get started
1: yeah they um so just you know having a look over on the butterfly foundation website nedc um and the i always pronounce it wrong it's australian new zealand eating disorder mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you know the one I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't yeah, pronounce yeah. It either. I was
0: hoping you. Could. <laughs> answered,
1: yeah, like I think it's Anne Yeah, yeah, yeah. i yeah, might okay, put that in the
0: show notes yeah. as well. <laughs> good,
1: good. Yeah. But if you like, if you're going to start working in that area, you have to have a supervisor. Yeah, and um, that's that is absolutely 100 percent crucial. Mm. Um, but in terms of professional development, the one that I've recently went to that was uh, just a conference. There were advocating for um a model of care that helps people with an eating disorder to find the right health professionals instead oh, of the other way around yep um but there's inside our institute mm-hmm. which have a a health care module but they also have a dietitian course which mm-hmm. you can do and that it basically runs through all the diagnostic for um, the different types of eating disorders, the treatments, um, so you understand what a psychologist does at the same time as well, which is important. Mm. Um, medical tests and then also treatment. So that would be a really good um, starting point.
0: Yeah, yeah. Also, just because I've come off a clinical block, you can also get onto um QEPS and it has the yep. guidelines for in a clinical setting, which is a little bit different to what you would do in a private practice type of setting but something that I thought also we might um, talk about quickly putting you off guard again is refeeding syndrome because for the listeners who might not be aware of that do you want to briefly explain what that is yeah yeah so
1: with refeeding syndrome it's basically when an individual has gone without food for a particular amount of time and so they're likely to be thiamine deficient so when they start to refeed so with carbohydrate um there's a shift um with their um not metabolize um, i'm just trying to think of the word is that right yeah i think so like
0: the glucose like, yeah 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 so
1: basically it just means that they're at risk of or, organ um or failure so that could be um, issues with their heart or the function of their kidney or their liver or mm. um, anything else so basically that could mean total organ shutdown worst mm. case scenario so the way that you know um because you've been on your clinical role um, for a while so the way that you would treat that for anyone listening is um thiamine supplementation multivitamin but also being monitored in the hospital because of that high risk as well. So if I did see that um, in an outpatient setting, they'd go straight off to the hospital.
0: Yeah, definitely. And the reason that I brought it up is because online... Here goes Lenny. You can hear it in the background. Sorry, (laughs) guys. Um, The reason I brought it up is because... You see a lot of people doing those crazy juice cleanses or water fast for more than 10 days. And I think people forget that, you know, not eating food for more than 10 days can put you at risk of refeeding syndrome. And yep. then what people generally do after they die is then they start to, you know, maybe have a binge on their favorite foods again. And then your body is just in absolute shock going, what is all of this glucose, how am I meant to metabolize it? And then yeah. your electrolytes can go crazy and then it can put you at risk. So, um, yeah, I guess it just goes to show the dangers of, you know, yo-yo dieting and everything. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah thanks for clarifying that. I thought we might get some questions about what it actually is. Yeah, that's um, a good point. So... Um, because you're obviously dealing with some quite complex, um, you know, complex caseload. How do you deal with your own mental health during this time?
1: Uh, so one of the main learning curves I had when I was uh, first out of uni, uh, I spoke to a psychologist, and I've been lucky enough to work in a team environment for that time. And he gave me this resource, and it was basically boundaries. Mm. So. Yeah, he was basically saying that you've got to do your job, but you've also got to learn, know that you're a dietitian, you're not a psychologist. So it's great to know their whole story, but you can only help in this tiny little section. So um, after, a while, after a while of learning what boundaries were and how I can set them within the consultation, then also out,
0: mm. um,
1: that's helped me even up until this day. I'm pretty straightforward with this is when we can. Um, this is what we're going to talk about in your consultation I can help you with ABCD and you can share your experiences with me um, and then I'll just highlight to them this is when a psychologist you'll have to talk a little bit further with your psychologist and just make sure I direct them and then um, outside of the consultation I just let them know when I'll be able to communicate with them and what to expect so you know I'm not um, available for constant email communication then mm. don't try and contact me on Instagram as well because yeah, once yeah. you become a client you're you're my client I don't we're not going to communicate on Instagram anymore
0: yeah yeah that's so that's so important I think you need to set those boundaries from the beginning as well otherwise you know for any new grads listening you need to set professional boundaries for yourself because yeah like I've had You know, experiences in the past where people have my number and are calling me, you know, on a Saturday night, Friday night, or what do I order? And, um, yeah, which some clients, it's fine, they can, you know, reach out if it's like a smaller question, but if it gets complex, you know, then it's, you know, you do need to book in for another consultation. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so what are some of your major career goals this year? Do you know what?
1: Every single year I've had major career goals, and this year I haven't, which is funny I think because I'm just rolling with it
0: yeah so, it's probably you know, a good year was, not to have them to be honest yeah. <laughs> 2020 is yeah. an absolute write off of a year <laughs> yeah
1: yeah low expectations high achievement yeah me, yeah I cool so. I like that And um, yeah I think because it's first year of running my own business I'm just like that's that's a win within itself you know I'm just going to roll with it and you know just f- focusing on work-life balance and um, professional development and just not perfecting, but improving on what I'm already doing. I think that's, you know, that's making me happy at the moment.
0: Yeah, awesome. I think that's such a good good goal. Work-life balance, something that I've definitely had to learn over the last couple (laughs) of years. Um, Constantly balancing. Yeah. So where can we find you? Do you want to give yourself a little plug? So we spoke about your Instagram.
1: So you can find me um, on Instagram or Facebook at The Good Food Clinic. Um, oh, I've got my website at the Good Food Clinic. Um, not at, sorry, it's a website, isn't it? Thegoodfoodclinic.com.au.
0: Well, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. And I think, you know, a few of those things that you spoke about were really powerful. And I hope that anyone listening can kind of reach out for the support that they do need if they are struggling with an eating disorder or disordered eating. You quickly mentioned some sites they can go to, like the Butterfly org mm-hmm. foundation is there anything else that you recommend in closing
1: oh lifeline, lifeline and yep. i guess because we're, we're dealing with me- um mental health um, yep. conditions as well yep. Butterfly foundation is amazing though and they have a um a helpline that you can call or even email if you don't prefer to talk as well so they're yeah they're excellent
0: yeah cool awesome thank you so much sarah i really appreciate it thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode if you have a podcast topic you would like me to discuss or a guest you think would be valuable for this podcast, please let me know. I would love to interview them. It would also mean so much to me if you could give this podcast a review, a rating and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. We'll see you next time.